Bless you, brother. Love you. Thank you. Well, in 60 days, I will celebrate 35 years of being cancer-free. So, when the Lord does a work, He does a good work. And what He does, He does uh, all the way, not halfway. Aren't you thankful for that? So, I'm so thankful for good health and, uh, and strength to, to travel as we do. I, I said, Lord, I need supernatural health and strength. And uh, my wife and I were talking about it the other day. She said, do you realize that the 34 years we've been married, she said, do you realize you have not missed a service due to sickness? 34 years, and I had not even thought about it. To God be the glory. And then this year we will reach 4 million miles flown with American Airlines alone. And if you knew how many different countries, situations, and people that we're sitting by, you would know how much of a miracle that is. I just want to give the Lord praise for health because, you know, friends, without our health, we're limited in our service to the Master. And we need healing and strength, and we need to take care of our bodies and, 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 uh, and ask the Lord to strengthen us and help us in every way because our bodies still are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I just realize if I'm healthy and strong, I can fulfill everything He's asked me to do. So we need to strive for it, amen, and ask the Lord to help us. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm so thankful. Uh, I told my sweetheart I would let you know once again that she sends her love. And uh, I have put in a request already with Mrs. J. If we have the privilege of coming back in the near future, Susie and I and Mrs. J want to hammer down on a good trio for you. Because <laughs> there wasn't many years ago that the three of us did one of the old songs that I grew up hearing my parents sing, Life's Railway to Heaven. And when I told Mrs. J what I wanted to do, I kind of threw a little, a little thought out there. I said, you think we might be able to still do something? She goes, oh, I, I think we'd be, we, we could do that. And so I have no doubts that we're going to be able to do that together in the near future. So it's just been a joy to be with you all. Thank you for your, your love and your fellowship, friendship. Thank you for partnering with us, Pastor. Thank you for all of you uh, helping us do what we do. It's kind of crazy, but what we do is all funded by love offerings. So obviously, with what we're doing monthly overseas, the Lord has really blessed our ministry in such a way. We have no debt. We don't borrow money to go overseas. We don't put it on a credit card and then hope and pray that we can pay it off when we return. We pay for everything when we go. Our missionaries know that when Mark and Susie land in that city, in that country, all expenses are covered, and our missionaries have no obligation whatsoever. That's the way we want to keep it. Amen? So that we can really go and be a blessing, and, and I'm just so thankful for your partnership and help uh, of our ministry tonight. I want to uh, share my testimony I shared it here 32 years ago for the first time. It was fresh because it was just three years before we arrived here in Springfield at Calvary Temple that the Lord had healed my body. And I think this story tonight is designed for one purpose. He gave me this testimony to build your faith. After you hear the story, you will believe and you will feel that God can do anything. And that's what this story is designed to do. Take your Bibles, please, and go with me to Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, verse number 5. 
It's a classic portion of Scripture that many of us can quote from memory. In fact, when I said Isaiah 53, 5, some of you just nodded your head. You already know the Scripture uh, in Isaiah that we're going to read, the promise of healing. And we'll use that as our text tonight. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. I think we ought to take a moment and thank the Lord for the price that's been paid for healing. And it's ours tonight for the asking and for the taking by faith. Amen. Father, thank you tonight for sending Jesus to satisfy the justice of God and by the stripes that were placed upon our master's back. Lord, we have healing for our body, mind, soul, and spirit. Thank you, Lord, for miracles, signs, and wonders that you're performing throughout the earth in these last days as a sign for people to believe and come to faith in your son, Jesus. And we give you thanks, and everyone said amen. Amen. Now, when you share a testimony, it's not like preaching a message, preaching a sermon. It's like being in a living room, just sitting around together and sharing a story, and that's how uh, we we will approach it tonight. But I was 19 years old when I received a call after a series of tests that was the kind of phone call from your doctor that at the age of 19, you never dreamed that you would receive. I'd been having some trouble physically and had not had any sickness or any kind of difficulties growing up. Um, Our lifestyle was very simple. It was church and sports and in that order. And uh, we were in church all of the time, ministering. Our family, in fact, our ministry was the music. My mom and dad led worship. My mom was the pianist for our church. My brother and I sang background vocals. I played the bass. And that was the Perky's ministry from the time I was 11 years old. I was on the bass and helping my family do what, what they did. And, and um And then something happened that is so popular in our culture, it's called college football. Yesterday was such a big, big day for so many uh, of our teams and our universities. And I got caught up in in that pursuit. And the problem with it for me was not the sport, not a thing wrong with it. I enjoyed it greatly, but it wasn't God's will for me. And I knew it. When I was nine years old, I can take you to the place at an Oklahoma Assemblies of God kids camp where the Lord called me into the ministry. I can take you to the very spot where it happened. It was one of the most uh, powerful moments in my young life. But I allowed a sport to take my affection and my passion, and I began to follow it. So I signed a letter to play Uh, for a particular university, and there we go. And the whole time I was battling inside because I knew that that was not the will of God and the path that God had called me to. So it wasn't very long into the situation where I developed a cough that just would not go away. What started as days turned into weeks. And if you've ever known or had a cough that persisted very long, it just physically weakens the body no matter how strong you may start out to be. And I was getting weak. My heart was beating irregularly. My lungs felt like they were on fire, a burning sensation, much pain. And then the day that I could feel lumps with my fingertips around my rib cage, around my neck, and around the waist, there were these hard rock-like lumps that I was feeling with my fingers. 
I knew now that this is not going to go away. Something is extremely serious. And so I went home over the Christmas break and had a physical exam, and the doctor said, I'll call you if there's any problem. I'm thinking, hey, there's not going to be any problem. When you're 19 and you've got age on your side and you're strong, uh, uh, that, that's not going to be a problem. He'll prescribe something. We'll go down and pick it up. I'll take it and, until it's all gone and life will go on. And it didn't happen that way. A phone call came, and the doctor said, Mark, we, he said, I'm so sorry to call you on your Christmas break home with your parents and your family, he said, but we have found several large black masses the size of golf balls that have filled your entire chest cavity. There are two clusters of this mass, one near the heart, another near a lung, and this was now starting to explain the, the uh, and I'm not going to bore you with unnecessary detail tonight, but this would explain now the difficulties I was having with heart and lungs. And uh, he just I could tell he was at a loss for words. I'm stunned on the phone, not even believing I'm hearing the, these words. And he said, I've taken the liberty to have you admitted at St. John's in Tulsa, where the finest specialists in, in this state are awaiting your arrival, and uh, you need to go. And I said, well, do I go after the Christmas break and, or before the next season starts? When, when, he said, no, I, I mean you need to go today, today. This is extremely serious. I hung up the phone and I told my parents, you'll never believe what this Christmas break is going to, um, de- you know, uh, be. And I said, I've got to go to the hospital. So we, you just, just everybody's just kind of stunned by it, you know. You just don't expect it. Pack a little overnight bag and we go to St. John's Hospital and I meet these two brilliant Specialist. One was the chief surgeon at that time of St. John's and the only one qualified to perform a particular surgery I am going to be told I need. And so I go through the, the, the battery of tests. Some tests were not a challenge. Other tests, I don't ever want to have to see these again. And um, when the results came back from the test, the doctor said, we want to meet with your family on Wednesday evening. Well, now Wednesday night, was church night. And so I told the doctor, I said, well, you, you don't know my family. I said, if you're going to meet with us, it better not be between seven and nine <laughs> because my parents won't be here between seven and nine. They're going to be in church. Uh, he said, well, I'll meet with you about 930 after they, they do their, their thing. And I said, okay. So uh, my parents were notified and all the test results were in. They knew what they were dealing with. We did not as of yet. And then that night, the doctor came in a little earlier than expected, and he said to me, you know, he said, legally, you're an adult, but I will wait and give the details uh, even more so when your family arrives. But he said, "Um, I want to just tell you what we're dealing with. And I was kind of surprised by him coming in early. We talked football, and we talked stuff, and then he said, Mark, you have cancer of the lymph nodes called lymphoma. He said, this cancer, these are his words. He said, the cancer has spread like wildfire. He said, we have a very, very serious situation. He took out a legal pad and a pen from his pocket, and he began to hand draw a diagram of of the location uh, of the mass. He was going to bring in the pictures and show my family here in just a few minutes, but he just quickly showed me what we were dealing with. And, and, And so the obvious question after all of this uh, information I said, well, 
All I want to know is can you, what can you do? Can, are we talking radiation, chemotherapy? Uh, he said, you're actually, the cancer has spread too rapidly for, for either. So we want to attempt a surgery that is very aggressive. And he said, I'm the only one qualified here at St. John's to even perform it. There's only two of us in the city of Tulsa that can perform it. And he said, the first incision is not the one that I'm talking about. The first incision we're going to make here along your neck, we're going to create a large opening, go in, and we're going to take a frozen section from one of the cancerous masses. While that is is sent to pathology, he said, then I come in and we will do an incision that will begin from the middle of your stomach and the incision will wrap all the way around to the other side. He said, we will need to break some of your ribs on the right side, and we will be in surgery for up to 11 hours. He said, you'll be in ICU for quite some time. He's just going through the rhetoric of it all, and I'm still thinking, I can't even believe this is me that we're talking about. So the obvious question about that time, my parents come in, they just come from church. If you, if you knew my parents, they're always smiling, always happy, and always got a song, you know, on, on their lips. And when they came in and sat down and the doctor went through all of these details again, my parents, in disbelief, broke down, began to cry, and they went down to their knees on that tile, hard tile floor there in the room and just inched over to me and laid their arms across me on the bed and just had a moment to just just weep. And I remember thinking at the age of 19, why are they struggling so much? I'm the one that's got the problem. But you know, friends, when I had my own children, it's real easy now to understand how they must have felt. So the doctor said, we want to do this surgery, these surgeries first thing in the morning. And uh, he's talking other detail that's not important. But then my dad said, okay, I'll sign the permission, and he signed a form, permission granted to do what you feel necessary to do. But he said, I just want to know. And my dad asked it in everybody's presence. He didn't ask him privately. He said, everything that you have said to me tells me I need to ask this question. If things don't go according to what you're hoping for, how long does my son have to live? And I never thought we would get to asking that kind of question, but the doctor said, well, we, we, we need a miracle. Now, when he said the word miracle, when you've been raised in the fire of Pentecost, that word's a good word. But he wasn't talking about the kind of miracle that I was used to hearing about growing up in a Christian home and a Pentecostal heritage, but he was talking about medically speaking, we need a miracle otherwise, and then here it came. He said, Mark has three to six months to live. And that's the news that we were left with as the doctor left the room and said, I'll see you early in the morning. And, and then my parents and I just had a time of prayer. And um, my mom and dad would have stayed there and slept on the floor if I would have just said, I need you to stay with me. But I said, I'll be fine. Why don't you guys go home, get just a little rest. You'll have to be up here in a few hours. And I found out that that 30-minute drive home from the hospital to their home took them an hour and a half as they would be driving along and they'd just begin to weep. And, you know, it's hard to drive at night. You've got tears in your eyes. And they'd pull over and kind of get it together and drive a little more. So while this is happening, 
Now I'm anticipating this very aggressive surgery. I don't know if they even do this kind of procedure now with all the, the advancements we have, but th this was the way it was at the time. And so I, I felt led of the Lord that night to call my dad's mother, my grandmother. She was born in 1905. 1913, a woman evangelist with the last name of Johnson came to Rogers County, Oklahoma and preached an outdoor camp meeting. My grandmother was saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit at the age of eight. Pentecost came to this family through her in 1913. And uh, so I called my praying Holy Ghost filled, I call her fire baptized grandmother. And I called her that night a little before 11 and I said, has dad, her son, my dad, I said, has dad called you and told you everything? She said, no, I can't get a hold of anybody. I don't know what's going on. I told her quickly and I said, I call her mamaw, so if you'll indulge me, I'll refer to her as mamaw. I said, mamaw, I need you to pray. We, we need a miracle. I'm in trouble. And she said, I'll see you in the morning. I don't have time to shoot the breeze. <laughs> An intercessor wants to get busy praying because they know the value and the results of intercession. So we quickly hung up the phone. I noticed the clock when after I hung up, it was about 11 o'clock. I do remember seeing that, about 11. And that's, that's significant because when she started praying, and I interviewed her in her home, I've got it written on handwritten notes and recorded, and when I interviewed her after the miracle, what, what happened was this. She said she got ready for bed and started walking in the house uh, as was her routine and praying as she would walk up and down the hall, in and out of the bedrooms and so forth. And, and she, if you, if, there's no way I can even uh, to tell you or, or show you how she prays. Uh, there's just no way. So as she was praying... She said, the Lord spoke to her heart to stand upon his word. And so she says, Father, I come in the name of Jesus, and I, I come standing on your word, and your word says, and she was praying the promises and praying the word of God. And she said, a second time, stand on my word. She said, a third time, this just overwhelming uh, voice, that inner voice, still small voice said, stand on my word. So she was in the living room walking there, and she said, the big family Bible was right there on the coffee table. It's in my possession now. I told all the other siblings, it's mine. And I claimed it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and had our picture taken together before she passed away at the age of 100. I preached her funeral with a full band, a Hammond B3 organ. Can you imagine it? My wife sang, We Shall Behold Him. My brother Mike sang her, one of her favorites, Beulah Land. And when we finished that service, and believe me, it was not a funeral. It was a, an all-out Pentecostal service. The funeral home director who'd been doing it for 38 years in my little hometown, he had lost color in his face when we marched out. <laughs> and he said to me, I said, you doing all right? Because he looked like he might need some help. And I said, how are you doing? He said, I've been doing this 38 years, and I've never seen anything like that. I said, oh, we were calm today. <laughs> Join us Sunday, and we'll really have church. You know? Anyway, it was such a, a celebration, 100 years of age, 
walking in the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and all the many preachers that have come from her praying and interceding. And she prayed, and when the Lord said that the third time, she went over to that family Bible. She opened it up there on the top of the coffee table to Isaiah 53, 5, read it out loud, she said, and then she put it down on the floor. And she walked over and she said, I just went ahead and stood on it. She said, he told me to stand on his word. And here's, here's the beauty of it. She never did this before. She never did this after. Well, your grandma's just got a few loose marbles. No, sharp as a tack until the age of 100. Had she not fallen and hurt herself, there was nothing wrong with my grandmother at the age of 100. But the Lord said to do it, and here's what she always taught us, to get something you've never had, you need to be willing to do something you've never done. And she stood on that Bible and she said, I prayed, and, and in her words, she said, I had myself a time. That's what some Pentecostals would say, and I know what they mean. She just prayed. She prayed in the Spirit. She did spiritual warfare. She just prayed and interceded. And when she finished, she said, she stepped off the Bible, and she just put it right back up on the coffee table. And she said, Mark, I went in to the kitchen here to get a drink, and we're sitting in the kitchen in the interview, and she tells me this. And she said, see that? that clock right there that your daddy bought me. I said, yeah, ma'am, oh, I see it. She said, I thought the batteries had gone out of it. I said, what do you mean? She said, it said 6 a.m. And I said, well, what, what, did, did you change the batteries? She said, no, they were fine. I had been praying seven hours standing on a family Bible. And then, I mean, I'm like, well, what, 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 what do you think about that? She goes, oh, time flies when you're having fun. She wasn't going to give herself any credit, you know. She just had a prayer meeting that lasted seven hours. Then she realized, I've got to get dressed and get to the hospital, and there's no way that I'll get to see you and tell you what has happened because I know by the time I finish praying, they're already probably getting ready to take you back. And she said, I was so disappointed, but I hurried and hurried. Well, you have to know what happened while she was praying. I'm there in my room, I'm there in the bed, just, you know, my heart's racing, my mind's racing, thinking about it all, and then the presence of the Lord enters that room. And it was so obvious that it was His presence. I sat up in the bed and I looked over here at the door that led in from the hall to the room, and I couldn't see anyone, but I felt the presence of the Lord. And I thought, well, that's that's not unusual, but wow. And so I just, I sat back in the bed and, and the presence of the Lord began to move around the bed. I never could see it. I never could touch it, but I knew exactly, does it make sense? I knew exactly where his presence was along the left side of the bed, up to the foot of the bed, along, like someone would be in your room just walking around your bed. That's where I felt his presence. And uh, I didn't know what else to do. I, I remember tears at times because his presence was just so, so sweet that um, didn't know what else to do. Every song that I had ever learned growing up in church, Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. And all of the others that, that, that I learned and heard and did in and, and my, my mom and dad's home, um, 
I would, I would just sing these songs. And I mean, I was just in the presence of the Lord, but then could feel his presence. And then the only time the presence of the Lord was not moving, as I've described, was one time up here to my right, toward the head of the bed, the presence of the Lord was stopping there, was in that area for some reason. And then the Lord, as only he can do, dealt with my heart about my sin of rebellion. My rebellion was to his call. And then he reminded me of how I was the one making the big promises in the altars that I would do what he wanted me to do, that I would, I would be what he called me to be. And um, when it came crunch time for me to follow the will and call of God, I basically turned my back and I said, I'm going to sack quarterbacks for a living. I'm getting pretty good at it. That's what I'll do. And I turned my back on the call of God and began to do my thing. Now, he has my undivided attention. Because without his intervention, I'm in trouble. And I did the math, what the doctor said. And I'll never see the age of 20 unless he really does perform a miracle. And so the Lord dealt with my heart. I quickly repented. And, and I said out loud, Lord, if you really want to use me, then I make myself available. And I don't know how else to explain it, but my desire to do what I had been doing, it left me. And, and I needed that, Pastor, because anything that I, I do, I want to do it with my whole heart. And so, for, for, and it was the first 15 years after the miracle that I didn't even bother to watch a Super Bowl. I just lost interest in what had so captured me that even to this day, I can go on my ESPN app on the phone and see who won a game, but to catch me watching a whole game, it's just, you just have to understand, for me, I don't have to have it anymore. There's bigger fish to fry. Can I get a witness? And I needed that departure. I needed someone to take that desire out of me. And when I repented and said, Lord, I'll do anything you ask me to do. If you want me to stand on a street corner and declare your glory, I'm your man. And I had a personal revival that night that continues to this day. Because you see, friends, what I got was a second chance. The Lord really is good at this. He's so good at restoring the broken places. He's so good at um, giving you an opportunity where you may have even blown your own opportunity from the poor choices or decisions you or I may have made, and I had made a poor choice, and now I've got an opportunity to make it right. Now, people have asked me uh, through the years, well, what if the Lord had not have healed you? What about that? I said, well, then I'd have beat the rest of you there because I made things right, and heaven was going to be my home, and uh, I was prepared for whatever happened. And so, as this personal revival, if you will, just everything was just lasting a short time. But as I got my act together and my ducks in a row, as we say, and asked the Lord to forgive me, then I felt a hand drop on my chest, and it startled me. And I looked up to see who had slipped into the room, one of the staff on the graveyard shift there at the hospital. There was no one in the room, but I could feel the details of a large hand. It was warm to the touch. I could feel the heel, the palm, the fingers, and a thumb, so it obviously was a right hand, and it was pressing right here. It lasted maybe five or six seconds at the most, and then the presence of the Lord was out of the room just as quickly as it had entered, 
And then this peace swept over me. And I fell asleep and had one of the best night's rest of my life, even though it was about three or four hours worth, maybe. And um, he touched me. He, he t- it's, it's, that's all I noticed. He touched me. But here's, here's where faith comes in. When I was awakened by the staff about 5 o'clock that morning, start getting prepped and ready to, to make our way to the operating room and so forth, um, I woke up that morning in more pain than I'd ever had before. And um, I could feel more lumps, new places where these lumps were protruding under my skin. And all I could hear when that started happening, as soon as I awakened that next morning, Thursday morning, the devil was just lying to me, saying nothing happened to you. He didn't touch you. That wasn't him. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. And then that made me mad. So I got up out of bed. There was one nurse doing something over here with one of the instruments and I just I stood up even in the pain and discomfort I had been having I said devil you are a liar I rebuke you in the name of Jesus and I looked over at her and she went (laughs) and boy she got out of that room in a hurry I don't know that she'd had a patient doing that lately I wasn't getting on to her I wasn't calling her the devil but I'm not sure if she realized it or not but the battle was on And the whole time I'm fighting this fight of faith, and even though I knew he had touched me, it was obvious, it was clear, his presence was there, the circumstances still remained. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things, help me, not seen. And so faith was being tested. That whole morning was a spiritual battle over fear, anxiety. And um, the Lord just helped me to win that conflict through his name, his word, and his blood. And so they come in, and i got to tell you something funny before we finish. Uh, It's funny to me. You may not find it funny at all, but I kind of like it, so I'll just take my liberty. But um, the the hospital gown must, Danny, it must be redesigned for the new year ahead. They haven't changed a thing about the hospital gown. It still has nothing in the back. Can I get a witness? And so at a moment of vulnerability, getting me ready for that surgery, they had administered something, you know, in the IV or whatever. And I, was, I felt like at that moment I could star in a Three Stooges marathon. It, I felt like, you know, wise guy, you know. And all that, you know, was kind of starting to work. And then at that moment of vulnerability, they, they knocked on the bathroom door and they said, while you're changing, change into this, not your clothes. But, and they handed me that dreaded gown. And because that shot was working, I got that gown on and got it over my shoulders. And then I realized there's, it's lacking. And so I come out of that, I come out of there and the bed's right there in the edge of the hall for me to, to you know, get on and, and go to surgery. And, and it's still not dawning on me what's not been done correctly. So I'm thinking as I'm walking toward that bed, somebody has got the air conditioning on. In the winter, somebody is crazy. I'm feeling a breeze. It's cold. And, and, and then I get out to the hallway, 
and there's the bed, and I'm about ready to crawl up on that bed, you know, and be taken down. And I, and I look this way toward the operating room, and there's, there's no activity. It's very early in the morning, a nurse or two maybe. I look down at that end of the hall toward the waiting room, and my entire home church is down there. <laughs> every Sunday school teacher, every Royal Ranger commander, my buddies, my coach, my family, they're all down there. And then all the little white-haired women in the church used to load up the church van and come watch me play ball. They didn't know anything about football, but they just followed my number and yelled for me if they saw me running, you know. And they thought I'd really done something great. And uh, all I'm doing is just running down the field. There he goes. There he goes. Ethel, look at that. Look at him go. It's the funniest thing ever. And uh, one of them choked on her gum one night yelling. So it, it was just really great. And so I, I crawled up on that bed and mooned my entire home church. <laughs> March the 1st, 2016, I'll be back at my home church. And those who are still with us always remind me of the story. And I'm like, I know it's been 35 years. Can we move on? But uh, anyway, I'm taken down. We're going down the hall, and I remember four of the fluorescent lights, and I was getting very sleepy, about to, to drop off. And then I hear this voice in the direction we're headed. Honey, that's my mammal. There's only two people that can call me honey. That's my mama and my mammal. And she said, I need to see my baby. And, and, and these guys that are pushing me, they look at me and I said, give her her way. She won't give up. <laughs> and she stopped them. They stepped around the corner and she said, how you doing? And I said, well, I don't know yet. She said, well, I, I want to, uh, she made it on time, by the way, how a grandma got dressed and got to Tulsa before surgery I still don't know how that happened. I don't even want to know how fast she drove that Cutlass Supreme. <laughs> but she said, I've been with him all night. And I said, uh, me too. She said, I want to know if the Lord did what I asked him to do before I joined the others down in the waiting area. I said, Okay. She said, I asked the Lord in prayer. No one knew anything. No, no stories had been shared. No experiences. Didn't know what she was even talking about until she said this. I asked the Lord to fill your room with his presence. She said, all you need to do is just give me a yes or no. It's important that I know. And I said, she said, did he fill your room with his presence? I said, yes. She said, did he walk around your bed and, and minister to you? I said, yes. She said, did he deal with your heart about your future? Yes, ma'am. She said, did he take his right hand? And she took her little right hand, half Cherokee Indian, light brown skin, white hair, gorgeous woman. She took her right hand and she laid it on me. And she said, I asked the Lord to take his right hand that was nailed to the cross for you. And I ask him to touch you and heal your body. All I need to know is, did he touch you? I said, just like that. She said, good. <laughs> I heard her start to pray in the spirit. 
and she walked away. My bed went that way. I don't remember too much after that. When I'm awakened, it's not 11 hours later. Um, I'm not in ICU. I'm awakened after this first surgery back in the room I had just come from. And uh, I had some swelling because of that surgery, and I had a whisper instead of my voice for a while. And in that whisper, it was like, where am I? What happened? You know, and you're just awake for a little while. And, the, and, and my dad and my grandmother, his mother, standing over me, and they said these words with big tears dropping off their face down on my sheets. They said they couldn't find any cancer. They searched and searched and searched and looked and swept your chest cavity from top to bottom, side to side, and they couldn't find one single trace of cancer. They closed the incision. They canceled the surgery number two that we were so dreading for you, and they put you back in here. And, and Dad said, uh, now we're the ones in trouble. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, we, we've had security sent down here twice to tell us to calm down. Because they said my mamma came in the operate or in the waiting room, and one of her old favorite songs that we did with the Hammond organ, she, oh, I want to see him look up on his face. Remember that one? There to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. They said she came in singing that, clapping to the offbeat. My grandma claps to the offbeat. She's a white woman trapped in a black body. And it was just, and they said that she just wouldn't let anybody mope and cry around and lament. She said, God's got it in control. He told me the Lord touched him. We just need to sit back now and wait for the report. And while we're waiting, let's go to four flats and sing, oh, I want to see him. Because we did it in four flats, as I recall, in the old red hymn book. Now, see, I go back a long way. I'm a young guy who's, who's old in a lot of ways. But you see, ladies and gentlemen, when I was awakened and told that, then my dad, who I buried three and a half years ago, did his funeral, um, leaned down close to my ear because I wanted to whisper something to him with no voice. And what I asked my dad, who's always been my hero, I said, uh, would you be disappointed in me if I would forego that scholarship that I know had to be a blessing to our family. It's a free ride all four years. And uh, if I would forego the scholarship, and would you be disappointed if I wanted to go to Bible college? My dad smiled, and I remember he kissed me on the cheek. And he said, while you were in surgery, I called a particular school that you mentioned one time, and there's a room waiting for you. And my mom, being the youngest of 15 children, was used to being raised on a dairy farm with her siblings and her parents, extremely poor. But my mom said it this way, me already probably, she was probably already wondering, is Mark worried about whether or not we're going to have the finances to do it? And uh, my mom then came in on this side and she said, honey, if we have to pick with the chickens, you're going to go. That was her way from her upbringing, whatever it takes. And so I healed up. It took three weeks to heal from that one surgery. 
And then I made my way to Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. And um, coming from what I had been doing to a Bible college setting, I was just lost. Didn't know even where to begin. But I thought, when you don't know where to begin, music is the way to go. So I auditioned for this choir, this national broadcast choir of the Assemblies of God, then called Revival Time Choir. Dr. C.M. Ward had just retired. Dan Betzer, pastor at First Assembly in Fort Myers, had just taken over the helm. And they had a spot open for a bass singer and a bass player. I auditioned both, had to sight read some music, you know, do the thing. And, and they let me in. And I started singing with them, playing the bass for that choir. And we traveled, we toured. And then I met my beautiful Susie there. She was the soloist of the choir. And it was love at first sight for me, but boy, did she make me work. <laughs> but I was up for the challenge. And uh, I was so thankful for that opportunity. And from that day to this, I turned 20 years old and we were 20. We went into full-time ministry. I'm 54 now, so the last 34 years, we've had the joy of being on staff like the staff here at Calvary and another church that allowed us to work with them. We pastored for eight years, and then the last 25 years have been uh, evangelist, missionary evangelist. And so I just couldn't be more grateful for the second chance the Lord gave me. That's why I don't have time to, to look back. Sometimes people say, maybe you, you might be a little intense. You might want to just kind of, you know, just kind of, but, but, you, you, but I tell him, you don't know what he's done for me. And I'm not going to ever go back. I'm not going to look back and I'm not going to miss this opportunity that he's given me because this is once in a lifetime. And I came this close to aborting the entire plan that God had for my life through my own choices. But aren't you thankful for his mercy? And the grace of God rescued me. And so, I just don't know what else to say, but thank you, Lord. And this testimony that you've heard tonight has, has allowed me access into locker rooms, bank lobbies, post office, gas stations, street corners, churches, overseas crusades, because... A story like this needs to be told anywhere and everywhere. It's always fitting. And praise the Lord for the great work he's done. But, but what I love, too, is that I've, I've watched the Lord perform miracles of every kind in these last 34 years. Every kind. Lafayette, Louisiana, I walked in on a Sunday morning. We were there for a Sunday through Wednesday revival. Sunday night, we had deemed as miracle night. I gave my testimony Sunday night. Two men walked down the aisle to be prayed for at the end. They were literally a rack of bones. They might have weighed 90 pounds apiece, maybe. And uh, they were at death's door. And when I went down to pray for them, they came together. They, they stood close together. And I said, What's, what are we praying for, guys? And they said, well, we're, we're dying of AIDS. and We've been sent home to die. It's Okay. I said, has the issue been resolved of, of your lifestyle? They said, we repented of our lifestyle, and, and uh, the Lord has healed us of that. But we're dying of AIDS. Okay. We prayed for those men, 
prayed for all the others that were there. A year later, I'm back. I walk in on Sunday morning. I see a lot of the same faces, getting ready to kick off another Sunday through Wednesday revival. And before the Sunday morning service started, here came two really handsome men with their wives. And they came quickly down to the front and, and asked me to come. And I didn't know who they were. I went down and shook their hand. They said, you remember us? I said, no, I'm so sorry. I don't. Well, we were the two guys that you prayed for last year. We were dying of age. We had about three months to live at the most. God healed us that night. Didn't the church tell you? I said, no, sometimes I'm the last to find out. They said, we had a double wedding. We'd like to introduce you to our wives. We work in the children's, I met their wives, beautiful young ladies, and they said, we work in the children's ministry and help there. We'll see you after service. And by the way, we're baptizing people tonight. And the pastor said, if you want us to get into the tank and help you, we should be in there helping you. So I had two former AIDS patients in the baptismal tank that the Lord had healed, just assisting me in baptizing some converts in that revival. Ladies and gentlemen, I could tell you stories like that till breakfast tomorrow. If he can do it for them, he can do it for you because he's no respecter of persons. Do you believe it? Hallelujah. Father, we love you tonight. So thankful for your presence. So thankful for your mercy. And I'm so grateful for your grace in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, I thank you tonight for healing and miracles that are in no shortage in these days in which we're living. You're healing and performing miracles all around the world and people's lives. And I thank you, Lord, for tonight, for those who spoke to me this morning, told me of situations and wonderful guests that could be here tonight really battling a particular thing in their life, that they need that miracle, Lord. Tonight, I thank you for performing your word. You said, Lord, that you watch over your word to perform it. And tonight, Lord, when we pray in faith for your people, I pray that healing would be swift and sure. Deliverance would come to those battling uh, uh, strongholds and and addictions, I pray they'll be broken in the name of Jesus. The chains would be broken. And Lord, I give you praise for a move of your spirit in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. If you're in this service, you say, Mark, I do need a miracle. It could be a physical miracle, a miracle that's needed in your family, your finances. It doesn't matter what the need is. But if you're in this service, I need that breakthrough. I need a miracle. I want you to come and stand right here with me in the front. We're going to make a single line, and then the prayer team and pastor and I are going to come by in a moment, and we're going to lay our hands upon you and agree in prayer. Just allow us a little room in front of you there where we might be able to walk by and, and pray with you. I need a miracle. Come on. This is the night. If you've got something that you're addicted to, something that plagues you, whether it be drugs, alcohol, tobacco, pornography, I don't care what it is. If you're tired of being enslaved to it and you want to be free from it, tonight's your night. Tonight's your night. If you leave yoked with these chains of addiction, then it would be a, it would be a travesty because Jesus is in the house and he comes to set people free. That's what he does. That's what he does. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Thank you. Single line. There's still room down to your right if you don't mind going there or to your left. That way no one is missed. There's still some room over here to my right and your left all the way to the wall. And then the same on the other side. I want our prayer team, Calvary prayer team to come and join Pastor Mark J and I and, and come in front of these men and women who've come for prayer. And we will all just make our way here in front of them. And in just a moment, we're gonna start laying our hands upon them and praying a prayer of faith. We're gonna believe God to break, break the chain. How many of you know the Lord can reverse the devil's decision? He can turn it around. What the enemy has meant for your harm, your destruction or your demise, God's able to turn it around and make it work for your good. Hallelujah. I've watched him do it over and over and over again. And he's going to do it again tonight as we come in faith. Praise God. So let's lift our hands, everybody. Come on. Let's just lift our hands and begin to worship Jesus. And as we worship the Lord, I want our prayer team just to take their liberty and pray for whoever God lays on your heart to pray for. And Pastor and I will come by and lay our hands on each of you. Praise God. Praise God.